Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to update you on a few things I did not have definitive dates for when we recorded this episode. The first is big news. The official launch day for the book that Josh and I will be talking about on today's episode is May 22nd, but you can pre-order it now. So reserve your copy of Lead to Thrive, The Science of Crafting a Positive Veterinary Culture right now at aha.org slash lead to thrive. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. The AHA store is the only place you're going to be able to get this book. And trust me, it is going to be a game changer. You're going to want to have your own copy, mark it up, put some post-it notes in there, highlight stuff, fold down pages, beat it up. It is going to be a book that you want to come back to um, and that you'll want to revisit with your teams too. And Josh will also be doing a presentation and a live Q&A in the AHA community on May 25th at Noon Mountain, uh, which will be open to both AHA members and non-members. So stay tuned for more info about how to register for that. And we'll be doing some uh, giveaways, the sign book giveaways, and um, Josh will be there to answer your questions, which will be a good time because as you'll hear, if you have not heard Josh before, he is always a treat to listen to, whether he's presenting or having a conversation with you. And so you don't want to miss that event either on May 25th in the AHA community at noon mountain time. Okay, let's get to it. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I have one of my favorite people on the planet here with me today, Josh Weissman. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. Super excited to be here. I would just like to point this out. I'm going to just say this, that Josh, when we got on, uh, today, Josh is like, oh, hold on, I have to go change my shirt. And like, no, he was not going to put on like a tie. He's going to put on a t-shirt that says, dude, be kind on it. And I feel like that is probably the best intro to Josh I could possibly give. Um, but and I love that shirt. So thank you. But Josh, I am going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself than just what's on your shirt. Uh, so people who don't know you can sure. get acquainted. Okay, so everything you need to know about me will be in this story, which is related to this shirt. Um, I wore a similar shirt like this at a conference. Uh, It was actually Connexity. I'm not going to call out the person who said this, but um, I was attending a talk. And after the talk, the speaker came up to me and said, you know, I was looking out and I saw your shirt and I really loved it. The only thing is it just says be kind and it felt like it should be kind And I'm not going to say what she said afterwards, but just insert Samuel L. Jackson statement underneath it. And I really thought long and hard about actually getting a shirt like that made, but I can't, but then I can't wear it on shows like this. So dude, be kind is the, you know, the best alternative. I I mean, you could get it made and then just put like a poop emoji (laughs) in one of the the spaces for the letters. Just, you know, so it's kind of a little bit bleeped out. You could do that. I I think think you might need that. That's a great idea. Okay. Um, Sold, sold. Shirt maybe stickers. <laughs> <laughs> um, a bit more seriously, uh, I am the co-founder and lead positive change agent with Flourish Veterinary Consulting. Uh, so I have worked in the veterinary space for 25-ish years. Uh, most recently in practice was as a hospital owner and a practice director. I was managing partner uh, in a couple small animal hospitals. Um, Flourish exists for two reasons. Uh, the first one is that, you know, work shouldn't suck. (laughs) Work, work really, yeah, yeah, and we're done. Um, I'm, I'm totally like 
you know, uh, appropriating an Adam Grant statement there. Uh, Adam Grant talks about his work is meant to make work not suck. Um, I really, I feel like we spend so much damn time at work. Like whatever our job is, it doesn't matter what it is. In veterinary medicine, it's it's a lot of our time. I I had a call uh, just before this with a technician with a hospital that we're working with, and she was telling me about how her average day last week was fourteen hours. Sure. Uh, you know, we spend a ton of time working. Work shouldn't be something we just survive. It shouldn't be something that we just get through to get to the good stuff. Work should be part of the good stuff. So Flourish exists to try and translate what the science tells us can actually contribute to that experience at work. What, what does it mean to be thriving and fulfilled professionally, according to research? How do we translate those things and then make it actually accessible and usable for veterinary professionals? So together we can create work environments that contribute to thriving and then work becomes part of the good stuff that our whole life is. I love that because nobody got into vet med so they could just like have a job, right? I mean, especially in this field, like everybody should be able to enjoy themselves at work, um, at least some of the time. But like, this is a field where people get drawn into it from passion and love. And, and then we just kind of beat it out of them. And um, I just, I, I, I love your mission. And um, I also love that you call yourself lead positive change agent. Um, I just, I think that's great because it's exactly what you are. Yeah. Um, Flourish is definitely, um, you know, a a brand and a mission and isn't just Josh anymore. And um, I'm loving seeing it grow. So, um, okay. So before we get into, I mean, I was going to say before we get into why you're here, but <laughs> let's face it, like since Central Line started, there's been a list of people that I knew we're going to have on the podcast and you were at the top. So you're just finally here. Um, but <laughs> with the timing of it is because of a, of a certain event. So we'll talk about that. Mm. But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you, you know, AHA, we're known for our guidelines mm. um, and our guidelines are branching out. So they're not just clinical anymore. Uh, we have mentoring and tech utilization guidelines coming out this year. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Josh Weissman, <laughs> in work or in life, what guides you? I, I think impact, um, you know, the, the greatest sense of joy and fulfillment that I've had in my life is when I feel like I've somehow positively impacted another human being's life. Uh, so whenever I can find evidence of that, uh, if somebody shares something or I could just see somebody light up uh, from an interaction or experience that we've had together, that that's what really guides me. That That's what I'm sort of ever seeking. Uh, so yeah, those, those would be my guidelines. That's a good guideline. And you're, uh, <laughs> Thanks. I would say that's every interaction we've ever had. So <laughs> good job there. You. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you're here because, and I have this written in my notes in all caps, you have a book coming out. Like I do You have a book. You wrote a book I and did. it is coming out very soon. It, yes, it is. It is. I'm so excited. So let's talk about it. Um, the book is called Lead to Thrive. And that's the short version of the title. And it is coming out. Uh, our official launch date is May 22nd. Um, it is 2023 mm. right now when we're recording this. And I think it will probably be available shortly before that. But I can't wait until it gets into everybody's hands because I've had the privilege of reading it. And it is exactly what we need. Mm. Uh, can you give, you know, we have, it's got that cover copy because it's like a real legit book available from AHA Press coming out May 22nd. 
2023. Just going to repeat that a few times. <laughs> but, Thank you, Katie. <laughs> but can you give us the Josh Weissman version of the back cover copy? Give us the Josh Weissman blurb. Yeah. The, the Josh Weissman version is that I was a person who stumbled into um, leadership positions in veterinary medicine as a hospital owner and practice director, hospital administrator, uh, and wholly sucked at it, like really bad, <laughs> thinking that I was doing a really good job. And then, and then realizing at the end that I actually had led in a way that caused harm, not intentionally. I'm not a bad person. I, I'm a good person with good intentions, which I think is actually a reality for the vast majority of people in this profession. Uh, I really have not met maybe on one hand I could count like actually truly like bad people with bad intentions in vet med. So I was a good person with good intentions who led the best way that I possibly knew how and didn't do a good job of it and caused harm to myself and others. And that made me realize that, you know, we work with the tools that we have and in vet med, man, we are technically gifted human beings. We we learn some incredible skills and we learn ways to apply those skills and really change lives. And no one ever taught us how to lead. No one ever taught us what it means to be a leader of other human beings. And every business endeavor, every purposeful mission, every meaningful goal is first and foremost a human endeavor. It requires people. And if we don't know how to create environments that let people really thrive and unlock and unleash and realize their full potential, we're putting a cap on what we can accomplish. And the results will be suboptimal performance, suboptimal well-being, and we'll suffer because of it. So this book is an attempt to fill that gap for our profession, to teach us how we can lead in ways that let people be the best parts of who they are. So that work does actually contribute to fulfillment. And the result of that is it turns out that when people are really fulfilled and thriving in their work, they do really good work and we solve problems together and we make a meaningful difference in the world. And they stay. And they right? stay. Well said. And yes. We, we have so much now, you know, so much focus on the trouble we're having finding and keeping people in vet practices. And um, we just had a veterinary visionaries event this, um, this month, we're recording this in March, and um, we just it, the event just ended. And um, we were asking people to share stories about why they, you know, why they fell in love with vet med, and maybe if they've fallen out of love, or if they've left the field, like what would make them stay or come back. Mm -hmm. And um, my story, when I shared it on the platform was about that, it was, because I've been exposed now to so much learning and teaching about positive leadership and about culture and what makes a good manager an actual leader and not just a manager, yeah. um, that was a big part of it is that I, it wasn't through lack of intention or lack of trying, mm -hmm. but that is something that I found at almost every single one of my jobs, even before vet school was just people don't know how to lead a team. Yeah. And um, I felt overlooked a lot of times and like my needs weren't being that. And I, if I didn't know all of that stuff, if I didn't know you and I hadn't been exposed to all of this material, mm -hmm. I don't think I would know that that was why, yeah. you know, yeah. I think this is a bad system. I'm burned <coughs> out. 
I'm not cut out for this field. And maybe that stuff is true to some extent, but that was a key. And I wouldn't have known that, I think, without having been exposed to all of this. So I'm really hoping that your book can expose a lot of our people to this, not just leaders, but, and we'll get into this more in a minute, but, um, but everybody on the team, if they know that's what's missing, that's a key part of the puzzle because then they're not going to go looking for the solution somewhere else. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about what positive leadership is? Um, I know you, you have given a lot of talks about this and if people have come to our beyond medicine workshops, which were insanely popular, I think we had like over 600 people signed up for your last beyond medicine workshop that you did this winter. Like that is an insane number. (laughs) Um, and so Many people may have heard you talk about the four P's, but would you mind just going into that a little bit and, you know, how you sort of weave a thread through those throughout the book? Absolutely. Um, If you don't mind, before I respond to that question Mm -hmm. and share a bit about the four P's, uh, I just want to express, um, I am sorry that you had that experience, that you went through an experience of working in places where you felt like you didn't matter. Uh, that happens far more often in our profession than anybody deserves. And you are a damn good person who's worthy of feeling like you matter because you do. You're uh, incredibly intelligent, insightful, kind, compassionate, gritty, perseverant doer who makes a difference in the world. And you deserve to feel that way. And, you know, we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help leaders learn how to help people feel that way at work. Cause when we feel that way, magic happens. That magic. Will, sorry, I'll, go ahead. I'll Venmo you in a minute. <laughs> as as we're done. No, no need. No need. Um, <laughs> you're, you're an amazing human being, Katie Berlin. Thanks, I'm Josh. grateful to have you in my life. Uh, the magic that can happen. We have a term for it in psychology. It's called subjective vitality. So the way that I like to describe what subjective vitality is like, uh, you know, you, Katie, you, you were in small animal practice and uh, Mm -hmm. you were a general practitioner. You've had days like this where you walk into the hospital and just as you're informed that two technicians have called in sick an emergency walks through the door and your first appointment of the day is also 20 minutes late. And before you know it, 12 hours have passed and your day is like just now ending. And I'm putting that in air quotes on purpose because it's not really ending. You still have four hours of medical records to do. So you collapse into your chair in front of your computer to start those medical records. And that's when you realize that your bladder is the size of a basketball because you haven't <laughs> peed all day, right? And you're literally like, you're so emotionally exhausted by that point that you have a moment where you look around, there's nobody else in the office and you think, maybe I'll just pee in the chair, <laughs> right? <laughs> because the thought of getting up and going to the bathroom is like overwhelming. Because there's so, people out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they I, I can't, get me. <laughs> I can't do that anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. So we've all had days like this. We know what that day feels like. So imagine yeah. at the end of a day like that, you look on your desk and there's a card on the desk. It looks like the outline of – it's an, in an envelope. It's sealed. But it looks like a greeting card type of thing. You get curious. You grab it. You flip it over. And it's handwritten addressed to you at the hospital. So you open it up and – uh, outcomes like, I don't know, like it's just like all pictures of different types of candies on the front. And it's all the candies that you love. And you're like, oh my God, you start to drool. This is somebody knows who I am, right? You open up the card and inside is a handwritten note of gratitude from a client of yours. Maybe, you're, maybe it's Josh Weissman. Yeah, last week, 
you were on the phone with Josh and, you know, he had mentioned something about just how crazy his work schedule has gotten and he needs a refill of a medication for his dog, but, you know, he doesn't know when he's going to get to the hospital. And so your immediate response, because this is who you are, uh, I drive by your house every day on my way home from work anyway. I'll just drop it off tomorrow. Don't worry about it, right? This is the kind of thing that you do every day. It's innocuous. It's just part of who you are. But to Josh, holy cow made such a difference that he went to the grocery store and spent 30 minutes looking through all the greeting cards to find the one that like it's got the candies on it and your candies. And so then he goes home and he handwrites you a note of gratitude. You've just had 12 hours of utter chaos. You're so exhausted that the thought of getting up off your chair and going to the bathroom feels like too much. But you read that card. How do you feel in that moment? Um, I probably would cry. <laughs> Let's be honest. I would probably cry. Like somebody sees me and somebody I, sees I would me. cry. Yeah. That feeling of being seen, that feeling of we in psychology we call this aliveness, energy, mm-hmm. right? That's what subjective vitality is. And subjective mm-hmm. vitality is something that's it's it's possible even in very difficult, high stress, high tension, high stakes environments like working in a veterinary practice. You can experience subjective vitality, that aliveness, that energy, that enthusiasm, even in the midst of a chaotic, crazy day like that. Well, we know what contributes to it, what allows for that. There are certain human needs that have to be met to allow for people to experience that kind of vitality. So the four Ps is about teaching us how do we enable that in our environment? We can't actually make somebody feel that, it turns out. You can't, you can't make somebody feel alive and ready to take on the day, but you can make it significantly more possible. The four things that we believe will allow for that to happen are psychological safety. When somebody works in an environment where they don't just feel seen, they feel heard. They feel like, I can speak up. I can challenge how we're doing things. I can be like, "Mm, my bad, so sorry. And I know that I'm not going to risk retribution or punishment. I'm not going to be admonished or laughed at or just flat out dismissed. I'll be heard. And then I can learn things. That's psychological safety. When people feel like they matter and they're doing things that matter, we call this the purpose pillar. So when I feel like I matter to the people around here, especially the people in leadership, That's the experience of interpersonal mattering. When I feel like I'm doing things that matter, I can see the positive significance of the things that I'm doing each and every day. That's what we call meaningfulness. Those two things come together. You've got the purpose pillar. Path is the third P. Path is really about achievement and growth. So I know the the puzzle piece that I am in this greater puzzle of what we're trying to do here. I'm empowered to actually fit into the puzzle. Like I have some level of autonomy and control over how I do what I do. And I've got the resources and tools and support I need to succeed. Turns out when you give those three ingredients to people, they do amazing things. And when we do amazing things, we feel a sense of accomplishment and growth and development that contributes to our sense of vitality. The last pillar is what we call partnership. Partnership is about the human element. 
As we said earlier, every endeavor is a human endeavor and human beings are hardwired. Every single one of us, yes, even the introverts out there in the audience, we are hardwired for social connectedness. We need to feel like we belong somewhere, that we are included, that we're a part of something. To people that matter to us, we matter to them as well. So partnership is when we feel this experience of that, you know, the people here actually really care about me as a human being. I'm not just a cog in the machine. I am a machine in and of itself. I am worthy because I am. In fact, I know that they care about me because even if I didn't work here anymore, they'd probably still care about me. And while I'm here, they don't just care about me as a person. They actually care about my success. They're here to help me succeed in the meaningful goals that I'm trying to achieve and the meaningful goals that this organization is trying to achieve. So it's not just about where am I falling short? Where am I screwing up? It's what are my strengths and how can those strengths contribute to what we're trying to do together? We feel that when those four things are present, psychological safety, purpose, path, and partnership, people feel vitalized in their work. They do better work. Their well-being improves. They feel more committed and engaged to that work. And it, like you said earlier, they don't leave those workplaces <laughs> because they feel so good and they feel so special to us. Why would you want to go anywhere else? I'm just thinking, like, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking through my own experience and realizing that, like, I have been fortunate enough, at least, to have pieces of, you know, maybe two peas, yeah. <laughs> you know, at, at each workplace or in each position, but having all four together, where you really feel like you belong and you're given, you're empowered to use your strengths, mm -hmm. because that's something that I've found for sure at AHA, where we do StrengthsFinder, you know, yeah. when you join AHA. So StrengthsFinder 2.0 is this, it's like a, there's a book and um, a quiz that you mm -hmm. take online and the quiz kind of brings up your top five strengths. And then you can learn more about yourself by reading more about how to maximize those strengths. Mm -hmm. And the focus is really playing up your strengths and not focusing so much on your weaknesses and yep. fixing them. Yep. And then collaborating, that partnership helps people use their different strengths mm -hmm. and not focus so much on like what I'm bad at, why do yeah. I suck at this? Like yeah. I can't believe that, you know, she can do this so easily and it takes me all day. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that in veterinary medicine, we just don't do very well. Mm -hmm. We expect people to fit a mold if they're going to be in a certain job, whether it's mm -hmm. a CSR or mm -hmm. a practice manager or a veterinarian. Like we think that you have to have these specific strengths. And then if you don't, you're, you know, there's something to criticize there. Yep. And I didn't feel that push to like explore what made me unique and different. It was more like, oh, I'm not going to do surgery anymore because I'm bad at it. Yep. You know, which for the record, I, it's not quite accurate. Like, I don't actually think I was bad at surgery. I just <laughs> didn't want to do surgery like over yeah. other things. And yeah. and we spend a lot of time as vets grappling with that because yep. we've been taught to put our identity in this certain basket. And mm -hmm. that psychological safety piece is being able to say, hey, I am really good on the phone. Yeah. Now, I can't spend 12 hours on the phone. So I'll <laughs> yeah. want to put yeah. my ninja hand through the phone and like strangle the person <laughs> at that point, no matter who they are. But I, you know, I am really good at talking to people. Maybe this is a strength we could, we could build on versus having me, you know, um, feeling stressed out because I'm trying to see appointments in 20 minutes and I'm in yeah. treatment trying to get yeah. things done. And I'm frustrated because we're shorthanded and I don't know how to express that to, to anybody in leadership. 
and they're not asking me. Yep. You know, it's just like, oh, Katie's always in a bad mood. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm actually really gr- glad that you brought that up. When, when I first started learning about the science of psychological safety in particular and the impact that it has on teams, and by the way, what really drew me to it initially was that some of the early work by Dr. Amy Edmondson, she's the uh, Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at Harvard Business School and one of the preeminent scholars when it comes to psychological safety and work teams. Her early work was on medical teams. It was with registered nurses uh, and the impact that it had on patient care. I mean, like something is really important to us, right? When I, when I first started learning about it, one of the things that really stood out to me was that oftentimes we'll have an environment that's lacking in psychological safety because somebody there, whether they're actually this way or not, they're behaving in a way that is perceived by the team as tyrannical, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you screwed that up. Right. That kind of thing. Right. And so then the fear of, uh, you know, um, punishment or retribution because you screwed something up or fell short of expectations, whatever, so strong that people start withholding things. What I came to learn is that that is one of the more obvious signs of a lack of psychological safety. It's not the only one. And in some ways, it's one of the best ones because we can see it clearly. Mm. There's another sign of psychological safety, which I think you were sort of alluding to, which is if I don't feel safe to speak up and my voice is not invited by leadership, I just don't share it. And so oftentimes I'll work with leaders who have this false sense of calmness in their environment. They feel like, well, nobody's coming into my office. I've got an open door policy. Nobody's really sharing anything. You know, at staff meetings, I always ask, well, what questions do you have? What would you like? And it's like crickets. So obviously everything's fine and we don't have a psychological safety problem. Actually, if your environment is peaceful and calm, that is also a lack of psychological safety. In a psychologically safe team environment, we will have what Edmondson refers to as a lot of intellectual tension because we should, because medicine is a practice. It's not, it's not as much of a science as we want it to be. It's, it's, it's something we learn, we develop, we get better at, we play with it over time, we run experiments and we figure out ways to do it better because we develop that through the experience of doing it repetitively. The best way for us to get better over time is when it's a collective effort where all unique perspectives are allowed, where we explore all the different ways of seeing and doing things and then come to a consensus in service to that higher purpose of what we're trying to do. If we're not having that kind of tension, "Mm, you know, I saw you do this this way yesterday. Have you thought about doing it this way instead? If we don't have that, we're not learning. That's apathy. Yeah, um, that was, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely have worked in places and I'm sure everybody listening has worked in places where there has not been that kind of sort of productive conflict of mm-hmm. like, hey, let's challenge this idea. And even if you're just dead wrong about something, yeah. like even if you're just like absolutely completely wrong about the idea, mm-hmm. it should feel like, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't let that idea take up any more space in my brain because yes. I got it out and I realized why it just wasn't right. And yeah. There are so few things that are black and white like that, too, mm-hmm. that um, even in medicine, that I think uh, that's a really important point. And I have a question I was going to ask you, um, but I'll just ask you now. So the the thing that makes 
me pause, you know, always with leadership and management stuff Mm -hmm. specifically relating to vet med is because I have worked in so many places where I feel like my bringing this up wouldn't have been welcome, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as an associate vet, um, as an associate, you don't see yourself as a leader, but technically we're, we're all leaders potentially. Mm -hmm. We can all affect that culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was just curious to know, like, is this book, did you intend for this book to be for everyone or for people who are actually in leadership roles only? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that I'm going to, I'm going to give a hopefully not annoyingly nuanced response to, um, (laughs) I am very driven by the impact of people in positions of authority because I was in that position and I saw the impact that I hoped to have and the massive gap between that and the reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to empower people who are hospital owners, practice managers, medical directors, CEOs, uh, you know, VMA leaders, whatever it might be. I I want to empower them with the skills to have as much of a positive influence as they can, because those are the people that have the greatest influence when we, so an example of this from literature, psychological safety, since it's a topic that we've been talking a lot about, psychological safety is a team phenomena. And so it's, it's a social phenomena. Everybody on the team is influencing it in some way, shape or form, even I don't know, you know, you get a new CSR that joins the hospital and it's 60 employees at the hospital and it's their first day. From day one, they're impacting the psychological safety within their team environment. And over and over and over again, we see meta-analyses that show the greatest influential variable is the leader of that group. Sometimes the leader of that group is actually by title, right? If you're the practice manager and you're working with your hospital team, you're going to have the most influence over if people feel like they can speak up or not. But if you're an associate veterinarian and you're in treatment, working with a couple technicians and a tech assistant, you're the leader of that group. You don't have to have the title. You, you're the one who holds the license, right? So you're the leader of that group. So you're going to have the most influence in that context. So I wanted personally, I wanted to change how, how leaders quote unquote, true leaders, uh, change things, but you're a hundred percent right. Katie, everybody is influencing these things. Everybody has the opportunity to give the gift of a positive workplace experience to somebody around them. So the book is 100% accessible to anybody who works in veterinary medicine. Truth be told, it's really accessible to anybody who works period. Right. (laughs) Yeah, th- this book has a massive potential audience. Like it is called, you know, Lead to Thrive, the the science of creating a positive veterinary culture. Is that right? Yes. I should know that by heart by now. <laughs> I work at AHA, everyone. But anyway, um, but I I love that title because it has the word science in it. And this is all based on evidence. This mm-hmm. is based on actual proof that, these things work, these concepts work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because as veterinary people, we are science minded. We are, we like evidence-based, um, you know, theories that will help us to, um, know that we're on the right track. And I think one of the biggest problems that I've seen at least, and let me know if you disagree, but is that leaders 
who have good intentions and want to do things differently, or they know there's that gap between their mm -hmm. intention and what's actually being perceived, um, is just time, energy, you know, bandwidth. Like, I... I can see practice managers and practice owners thinking like, I want to do this. I know my team isn't quite there, mm -hmm. but I am so tired. Like mm -hmm. I am just so tired. Mm -hmm. And a, a good leader in that case may have somebody come to them with this book and say, yeah. you know, there's an idea in here that I think we could use. Like, could we start with a meeting and maybe we do this exercise together? Yeah. And I, as a leader, I think would be really happy to have somebody who's championing that in the yeah. practice, yeah. even if they can't put it into effect by themselves. Like it's yeah. still going to take my, my demonstration and my leadership mm -hmm. and my example, but I don't have to do all the planning and thinking yeah. and that would make a huge difference. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I think that there's there's always opportunity to inject some of these practices at any level. Um, <laughs> we have a propensity in our profession to think in like uh, you know computer language one or zero. Like it's either I do all the things and I do them all perfectly, or I'm a failure and I may as well do none. Um, what you're suggesting is that there's actually quite a lot of space between those two things. And yeah, yeah I mean, it'd be wonderful. Listen, if you're a practice manager and you, you're inspired by these things and you, you want to try and implement these kinds of positive changes, but you're just feeling so freaking overwhelmed, but your tech lead is like, oh, I want to do some of these things. Great. Absolutely. Empower them. That's going to make a difference. Even a pebble thrown into a pond makes a ripple. So let's make ripples. Small ripples are still ripples. Yeah, I think there was a place in the book you said um, something like we we see the behavior we reward. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about the leaders who say, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with my team, you know, because everybody's so quiet and happy. And and thinking that that's got to be one of the hardest places for mm -hmm. somebody who's in within the team to come to a leader and say like hey can we try this because mm -hmm. there's no outward proof that you can draw on and say like oh these people yeah. are all unhappy yeah. and that behavior clearly hasn't been rewarded before because people don't want to make ripples exactly exactly um, so let's say that i am on that team how, how do i bring that up like how do i go to my boss and say I really, I feel really strongly that this could help us. Yeah. I, you know, I want to preface this by saying that I think it would be unfair of me to set the expectation that it is uh, an individual team member's responsibility to change their boss. Uh, yeah. That that would be unfair. <laughs> We've all tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is an opportunity. Uh, it is something that I I would encourage every team member to, you know, to self-advocate. Mm -hmm. Uh, and find ways to do that. So my, my sort of typical approach to that, cause I do get that question quite a bit from people. I love this stuff. I totally want to do it, but I'm not the boss. How do I convince the boss of it? I think that you start by really trying to get a good, clear, objective sense of what drives your manager? What drives your hospital owner? Like what seems to be their, you know, key motivator? Um, for some people, like if you've got uh, a manager like me, it's, it's the people they're driven by people. 
it may not look or feel that way, but that might actually be what they're thinking. For some people, it might be uh, the practice performance. Um, how many patients we're able to see in a day, what our bottom line looks like, wh whatever it might be. For some people, it could be retention. Uh, figuring out what drives them and trying to find a way to genuinely tie the messaging to what's important to them. You know, Katie, I, I know that how the team feels is really important to you. You want people to to be in this hospital and feel happy that they're here so that they can do the good work. I got to tell you, I feel like we can do better there. I feel like there's opportunity for, for people to come here and, and feel even better about how they're doing. Do you agree with that? And, you know, probably you're going to agree with that. And then great. You know, I I've learned about this evidence-based approach uh, you know, this book lead to thrive. And it talks about some of the science of how we can actually do that a little bit better. Would, would you be open to having a conversation about that? You know, I think that if we can approach a leader with framing it to what's important to them and inviting them to be a part of the conversation, no human being likes to be approached like Katie, you're kind of a shitty leader. And I think that you could do better. <laughs> Nobody likes that, right? Yeah, so, no. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's find a way to invite them to be a part of the conversation, tie it to what's important to them, and encourage two way uh, a two way conversation about that too. That can also work with people who are money driven. You know, I know that the success of this hospital is incredibly important to you, and I get that, and I want to help you succeed in that. We're losing team members at, you know, we've lost six people in the last six months. That's like 30% of our team. I know that it costs a lot of money to replace people. And I know that we're losing productivity when people walk out the door. What if there was a way to make them want to stay here? I mean, that's a way to approach somebody who is driven by money. Yeah, the cost of burnout is very high, um, just monetarily high, 100%. not just emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. And um, you know, I think I can picture leaders that I've worked under who would get um, would their first instinct would be to get defensive mm -hmm. um, because they're human. Like yeah. leaders are human, yeah. and yeah, I think that so often just puts us off from further conversations mm -hmm. when it could be perfectly natural. Like to, if you look at your leader as a person and say, okay, their first reaction might not be positive, yeah, but like, maybe that's not the end of the conversation. Yeah. And we all know, right. We've heard it a million times now with regard to like clients and parasite prevention, right. You have to hear something seven times <laughs> to yeah. really sink yeah. in. Yeah. And there's yeah. like that gap, you know, if you don't talk about it, they're going to forget. And, yeah. um, it's not to say like go to your boss and like knock on the door every day and be like hey have you read that book even yet? more thought to have you read the book yet right yeah <laughs> like you obviously don't care if you haven't done this thing yeah but to not get discouraged and say okay if the first reaction wasn't absolutely let's do this you're so brilliant mm -hmm. here's a raise <laughs> like That'd be cool. maybe yeah. maybe that's not the end and can we think about like how to bring this up again if you're a leader mm -hmm. and you didn't like your first reaction when mm -hmm. somebody came up to you with this you know and you're mm -hmm. a little bit like maybe embarrassed about that yeah yeah then it, you are human it is okay for leaders to be human and yeah. 
that shouldn't mean that now to save your pride, you can never talk about it again. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I've encountered that a little bit. Maybe it's like, uh, totally. well, we tried that. It didn't work. It didn't work. It. And that happens a lot. Uh, Katie, that that's, that's really incredibly insightful. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're thinking ahead to like the what next part. Uh, cause that's a hundred percent true. I, I hear that a lot in the consulting and coaching work that we do at flourish. People will be like, yeah, well, we tried that. Okay. How many times? It's like the Tell client me- that tried the elimination diet by feeding yeah. it for a week. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. If, if the culture of a veterinary practice or really any organization is like the Titanic, it's a massive chunk of metal cruising along the water in a particular direction. Changing direction of it doesn't happen because you throw a snowball at it. That's just not how it works. It it takes a level of consistency, intention, uh, repetition, and quite honestly, lots of failure along the way. That's how change tends to occur. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you're totally right. I think a lot of times you're going to get a blank stare or you're going to get something that's going to feel dismissive or the leader might be defensive. So I'd encourage you to think about the possible responses. Literally sit down. We, we coach people to do this all the time. If your goal is to get your leader to embrace the practices of positive leadership in your hospital, Think about how you can express that goal, what's important to them, how you can tie it to that, how you can invite them into the conversation. Write that down. Like literally write it out. Write yourself a script. And then think about how will they probably respond to what I'm going to say to them. You you know them pretty well. You work with these people. You probably can anticipate that. Write down that potential response. And then think of two other possible responses. Challenge yourself to think about, well, maybe they'll surprise me. They could say this, right? Or maybe they're having a particularly horrible day. They could say this. Really think about potential alternative responses and then take a few minutes before you talk to this person to write out a plan for yourself. Okay, if I go to Katie and she says, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard, go back to what you do, just be a tech for God's sakes. Like that's your job here, right? How will I respond to that if my goal is to get Katie to embrace the practices of positive leadership? Not if my goal is to defend myself, not if my goal is to tell them what a jerk they are. My goal is to get them to embrace the practices of positive leadership. Katie says, go back to your damn job for God's sake. How will I respond to that? Come up with a plan for yourself for all all the possible ways that your leader might react to this messaging. And now you're prepared. You've got a script. You've got an algorithm. You've got what, what's the, you know, in the, in the textbooks, right? Okay. If yes, no. And if it's this, then you do this. And if it, that's all you're doing is writing out an instruction manual for yourself to make sure that you can stand in your strength and in your space and continue the conversation. So it's not just one snowball thrown at the ship. I also, there's also some leaders you're not going to get through to, right? Totally. Like, Katie in that situation sound, does sound like kind of a jerk. <laughs> like, we'll call her, how about we call her Karen instead of Katie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so 
Poor Karen. The Karens of the world really just get maligned. Like, my mom was named Karen, and, like, I'm kind of glad she's not around anymore, like, to hear the, the name Karen become, like, that person, because she was so not that person. But, yes, I prefer not Katie. Um, so you've seen a lot of leaders. Like, mm-hmm. you do a lot of consulting. You're very busy. You're always traveling, which is why I never see you, even though we live in the same state now. Um, do you – are there practices out there that are doing this really well? Like, oh, these leaders 100%. exist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't just, like, theoretical. This is, like, something that people are actually doing right now. 100%. So um, I got to tell you a story. This was something that uh, was invigorating for me. It sort of re-inspired me on the Flourish mission. Uh, towards the end of last year, towards the end of 22, we conducted some research. We took – so with the four Ps of positive leadership, we have an assessment tool, a way to measure whether it's actually happening or not in, in a workplace. And we put that uh, into a survey with um, a whole bunch of other stuff too. Like we asked people about uh, how often do you think about quitting your job? How often do you think about leaving the veterinary profession? How committed and engaged do you feel at work? Uh, how loyal do you feel to your organization? What's your current state of psychological well-being at work? Uh, how resilient do you feel? Overall, how happy and satisfied are you with the job? All those kinds of outcomes. We wanted to see if there was any relationship between, yes, my leaders do these things and how people responded to those things. Uh, the short answer is that, yes, there is a very strong relationship. It turns out that positive leadership does actually seem to make a pretty big difference in the veterinary profession. But that's actually not why I'm sharing this, at least in response to this particular question. When we put that out, we put that survey out by convenient sampling. Anybody who wanted to could participate. It took about 10 minutes to complete, so people really had to commit to doing it. We got about 600 responses, so a pretty good data set. I expected, because of the way that we were recruiting and um, it being by convenient sampling, that the people who would respond would be the people who had something to say about our leaders, right? I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I was... I was anticipating that we would get a lot of bad scores. A lot of people who said, oh, God, no, I don't have positive leaders in my hospital. A little over 30% of our data set said, I do have positive leaders. A third of the people who responded to our survey said that I work in a place with positive leadership in veterinary medicine. It is not just possible. It's happening a lot. And we can do it more. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I would never have expected that. Me either. <laughs> I, I wonder if those people are having the same trouble hiring and keeping staff. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, people, people who said that the four Ps were happening in their hospital. So i.e. my leadership in this practice does these things were 2.3 times less likely to say I'm looking for a new job. The average response to the question. So the question that we asked was, how often do you think of quitting your job? It's a five-point scale. The options were all the time, uh, often, sometimes, rarely, or never. People who said, these positive leadership practices are not happening in my hospital, which I want to be clear about, by the way. We were not asking people to say, we have good leaders or good managers or not. We were just saying, these are 16 behaviors do your leaders do them or not? That's it. Mm-hmm. So you can be a good leader, you know, a decent manager doing a good job at a practice that's doing just fine and not be a positive leader. Mm-hmm. People who yeah, said, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, important. absolutely. People who said, 
nope, these behaviors are not happening. The average response to how often are you thinking of quitting your job was often. 4.2 on a five-point scale. Often. I'm often thinking of leaving this hospital. The average response to people who said, yes, my leaders do these things to some extent was rarely 1.8 on a five-point scale. Wow. 2.3 times difference. It's it's a huge difference. Like that alone should make mm-hmm. this convincing. We have a huge retention problem in veterinary medicine. I, I often use this kitschy, I love kitschy little statements. I think retention is the new recruitment. I, I don't think, like if we're gonna put all our effort into recruiting people, I don't think we're setting ourselves up for success. First of all, the tools that we're using to recruit people are primarily financial incentives. It's a great look in the literature. I encourage anybody to just do a little bit of digging in Google Scholar and you will find financial incentives are a wonderful recruitment tool and suck for retention, period. Mm -hmm. People do not stay because of money. They stay because of environment. They stay because of workplace experience. And so- if we're going to rely on those kinds of things to fill the, you know, the empty seats, we're not setting ourselves up for long-term success. It's not going to do anything for the retention difficulties that we have. Not to mention, I think we can all agree veterinarians and technicians are not growing on trees. Uh, you know, I right. personally know hospitals who have had ads for an associate veterinarian for two years and maybe gotten one or two applicants in that period of time. We have to make environments that people want to stay in if we want to make our business of veterinary medicine sustainable. So I think that alone should be a convincing case that you want to think about positive leadership in your practice. Yeah, I mean, you convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and, and like I said, that's that's one thing that probably could have kept me in clinical practice, if not if not forever, then longer. Um, I love what I'm doing now, but there definitely was getting to the point where there wasn't a choice. You know, I was going to have to leave. Yeah. Uh, and I that data is just staggering. Like to think about how much of an impact positive leadership can have on a team, like. You know, we've heard that saying, right? People don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad managers. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're talking about not managers that may not be on paper bad. Yeah. They might be doing everything they're supposed to do and checking the boxes they've been taught to check or not Mm -hmm. taught, as we like to promote people who don't have any management training into management positions in Mm -hmm. Vet Med. Um, But you know, we, I, I love business books and, um, you know, leadership books. And so I've done a lot of management and I've done a lot of reading on those things, but, um, in vet med, we really do have a unique, you know, perspective because our workplaces are, you know, healthcare sales, you know, yeah. a regular, like the office that our workplaces are like this, yeah. this melting pot of all of these different types of workplaces. And so yeah. reading something like Adam Grant, you know, I always wanted to know how those concepts could apply to a veterinary clinic. I didn't mm. feel like they were talking directly to me. Mm. And I think that's what makes your book so special because you've taken, you know, Adam Grant and Brene Brown and Josh Weissman, <laughs> and you've, you've put them into a context that makes sense to our people because mm-hmm. this is a very rarefied world. And I think that's long overdue and so, so necessary. And I'm hoping that Lead to Thrive sparks that curiosity in a lot of people who are like, yeah. Ooh, what else can I read about this? You know, and then yeah. they're going off and yeah. reading all of those yeah. things, yeah. but, um, but they don't have to because you've distilled it down 
into this very manageable book that is, you know, that that also gives practical exercises and mm. examples um, so that people can actually, they don't have to think about how to apply the concepts to their team. They can just look at the end of the chapter and be like, oh, here's an example I can yeah. do at my, at my team yeah. meeting. Yeah. And it, that's incredible. Like you've done so much of that work for us. So, you know, this book is, is your baby, right? I mean, you worked, you have worked so hard on this and shout out to Nathan Davidson, our product manager, yes. Um, yes. who's I know been working really closely with you on getting this book done. Um, and I, I really just, I think it could have such a huge impact on vet med. So it's my personal mission to get it into as many hands as possible, uh, as much as I have the power to help do that. What is your number one wish for it as you send it out into the world? Can I have two wishes? Number you can one have wishes. Two. Yeah, you're allowed to have Thank two. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first and foremost, you 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 said uh, this is my baby, and that's that's accurate. I mean, this is definitely something I've poured a lot of time and my heart and soul into. Um, but it is not a baby that was made by immaculate inception. Um, there were a <laughs> lot of people involved in making this book what it is today. Uh, you know, Nathan was instrumental in bringing this thing to life. His guidance, his support, his insight, uh, you know, his pushback sometimes really honed it and made it a lot sharper message than I could have made it on my own. And then we had six um, amazing expert reviewers look through the original transcript. And Nathan sent me back, like when I first got it, it was really daunting. It was this huge document with... <laughs> All of their comments collated into one. And um, and at first, yeah, it was a little bit overwhelming, but oh my gosh, I have to tell you, those six human beings, there's no way the book would be as good it is, as it is now if they had not offered their time and their insight and their energy and their dedication um, to, to really cutting through it and surgically improving it. Uh, and then, you know, the, the copy editor and the development editor and you, and I just, so many different people have really helped it be what it is. So I, I owe an incredible debt of gratitude. My hope is that those people can feel some pride and sense of, um, of, uh, you know, meaningful impact because of what they did to help make the book what it is today. Um, my second hope is that the people of veterinary medicine can find, um, a little bit of vitality in, in reading the book because they deserve it. I mean, it's, it, it's probably a little bit cliche to say, and I hope it comes across as genuine as I mean it. This really was intended to be my gift to the profession and I, I hope they receive it that way. I have no doubt that they will. And I think the book will give people hope. Um, that things can be different. Mm. And if their own situation where they are now can't change, it gives them an idea of what to look for in the next situation. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. People should feel empowered to go find these cultures because as you say, they're out there and they're happening and they're thriving and they might not have an open position because nobody <laughs> leaves. So like you might not find them in the back of Javma, you know, you just don't, you just don't know. And yeah. so, um, but, but having those nuggets in your head to know where to look mm -hmm. when you visit a practice or when you're talking to somebody who works there and knowing the questions that you want answers yeah. to, that is so valuable. I did not have that 
and life would have been very different, especially for me as a new vet, mm -hmm. if I had if I had been armed with a little bit of that. So totally. I hope vet students read this. I hope new graduates read this, new grad technicians, yeah. you know, technicians who have just gotten credentialed but have been in the field for a while. Like, there's no reason why this book can't speak to everybody on a certain yeah. level. So definitely um, they can check it out. And you just finished recording the audio version. I did. So people can actually hear you read the book yourself, which is so exciting. So it was fun. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I have a wish for it aside from that, just as many people as possible get to see it. You said something in here too. I wrote, I took made a note because I, I just have to show everyone. This is my copy of Lead to Thrive yeah. um, that I actually printed <laughs> out because I like to read books like in my hands on the screen and I, I had to take too many notes on it. So I just printed it out, um, <laughs> but I couldn't wait. Um, but you had said that we have to shift our thinking from perfectionism to continuous improvement. Mm. And that right there speaks volumes in a field where so many of us succeeded at school and got to be veterinarians, at least, mm -hmm. because we're perfectionists. We yeah. describe ourselves that way. Yeah. And the idea of there never being an end goal can be a little bit like terrifying because you're yeah. like, oh my God, how do I know if I've gotten there if there's yeah. never a there to get to? Yeah. But the the there is a positive culture mm -hmm. where everybody's striving together mm -hmm. for that that feeling of like what can we do better tomorrow? What can we yeah. do better today? Yeah. So that's my hope is that people recovering perfectionists like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can say, oh okay, so my goal actually is different and it's already achieved if I'm constantly looking for how our culture can improve. Mm -hmm. It's like a sigh of relief. It is right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing okay. that. Okay. So uh, last question, the post-it yeah. question. I want to know if you, besides dude, be kind yeah. or be kind, um, Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could put a post-it on, you know, say on the dashboard of mm -hmm. every veterinary professional's car so that they'd see it when they get in the car to go to work in the morning, what would it say? Okay. So it would have like a, okay, you know, like the, 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 um, central line stickers that you have those mm -hmm. like graphics, right. It would have that version of graphic, but it would be you and it would be you pointing with like a, a really happy look on your face <laughs> and under it, it would just say you matter. Ah, oh, love it. Yeah. I I don't think there's anything I can add to that. <laughs> Sounds great because you do. Everybody does. Everybody um, does. And everybody deserves to go to work and not feel like they're counting the minutes until they get to leave. I agree. Totally yeah. agree. Josh Weissman, thank you so much. As always, I could talk to you forever. Um, I'm sure we'll have many other chances to talk about Lead to Thrive, but um, you know, I, I'm. I'm planning. We're planning. We've got some stuff in the works. So everybody stay tuned for some events where you can hear Josh talking to other people, other leaders, um, and, uh, you know, just talking about how to apply some of the concepts in his book and in all of your talks to, um, to other areas of vet med because it's all connected. So, um, so stay tuned for those, but for now, Lead to Thrive, The Science of Creating a Positive Veterinary Culture by Josh Weissman 
will be in the AHA store. It's the exclusive location where you can find this book um, starting May 22nd. And um, you can get your hands on a copy or the audio book um, through our store link. So check it out and share with your friends for sure. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.